Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everybody, it's Matt Larkin here. Welcome to the Hockey News Fantasy Hockey Podcast and live stream brought to you by Christian Hockey. If you're watching right now, it's behind my head. My head is so big that I might be blocking it. It's a little bit of an eclipse, so I apologize for that, but... The head is so big because there's a lot of fantasy hockey knowledge packed in there. See what I did, Steven? See what I did there? All right. So I'm going to be taking live questions as usual. You can start cooking them up right now and send them. Steven will send them to me. In the meantime, though, let's start by uh, looking at some pickups. So as I did last time, we're going to do a shallow league pickup, medium league, and deep league pickup. Okay, so we're going to start with the obvious shallow league pickup, and that is defenseman Oscar Clefbaum of the Edmonton Oilers. He's owned in 78% of leagues, should be 100% at this point. He's got nine points in his past five games, and right now the Oilers are just becoming kind of like, I, I always love comparing across sports and fantasy. They're, they're like what the Kansas City Chiefs are in fantasy football. You just want anybody who's touching that offense. And with McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl just playing out of their minds this season, playing so many minutes, Clefbaum is just racking up assists on whatever they're doing down ice. And the exciting thing with Clefbaum, he's playing 25-55 per game. So the ice time is just there. Dave Tippett is doing a great job. Deslam is just realizing who his best players are and having no problem leaning on them. Uh, so I think Clefbaum has potential to sustain this, especially because he's only got one goal. So that's going to regress to the mean eventually. He does like to shoot the puck. So he could see his goal total start to climb as well. He's looking like he's finally becoming at 26 years old the fantasy defenseman we thought he was going to be a couple years ago. So consider picking him up if you're in a shallow league. Uh, The medium league pickup. This is weird because this guy's only owned in 6% of leagues, so that would would look like it's someone you should be picking up in in a deep league. But I actually think Morgan Frost has potential to be valuable enough that even in a medium-sized league, you should consider picking him up. We know the talent is there. He's got great hands, great natural scoring ability, uh, was quitting himself pretty well, Lehigh Valley in the AHL. And he's parachuting onto the Flyers immediately onto the top line with Claude Drew on his left, Travis Konechny on his right, Frost scored in his first game. So to me, when you have a combination of, okay, the role is right there, he's already playing on the first line, and he's already a high-end pedigree prospect who's supposed to become very good, that's everything you want in a fantasy pickup. Dynasty leagues, of course, he should be picked up long ago, but even in a shallow or at least medium league, I think you have to look at Morgan Frost. Uh, the deep league pickup is another guy with that same kind of pedigree, Nick Suzuki of the Montreal Canadiens. He's moved to center now, his natural position. He's playing on the second line. He's starting to score goals. He's creeping up, chasing Victor Olsson and the rookie goal scoring race. And uh, he's getting second power play unit time, so he's slowly gaining more responsibility. And with all due respect to Jesperi Kakanyemi, I think it was pretty clear that Suzuki is the higher ceiling guy long term and I think we're starting to see that already it looks like Suzuki in the pecking order has already surpassed him uh, so that's another guy in a deep league the next question is from Mika Hakala and Mika who I assume is from Finland asks should I replace Thomas Shabbat with Zach Wierenski? which player will score more points this season my league's point system also uh, gives points for blocked shots thank you uh, that's a tough question if 
if it's a dynasty league, you're in great shape with either. They're both excellent defensemen. Uh, I think Zach Wierenski has especially shown prowess as a goal scorer. Thomas Shabbat really broke out last season as a guy who can just do it all for Ottawa. I like both. Uh, I, I still lean slightly to Thomas Shabbat. Uh, I just think he has the ability to control a game. It's almost like if you compare teams, like Shabbat is to Ottawa what Seth Jones is to Columbus. Uh, and I think Shabbat... He's also scored, I think I wrote it down, uh, I was looking at some numbers earlier today, just different guys, and I actually was looking at Chabot, and he scored on 1.8% of his shots this year. So that's going to regress. Uh, the goal total is going to climb up. And and he, the Senators as a team, and I'm going to pat myself on the back here, Stephen, I was calling this. I didn't say the Senators were going to be amazing, but I said they were not going to be the worst team in the league, and they have not been the worst team in the league. They've actually been better than that. They're playing pretty well. By, you know, compared to expectations of late. So if that trend continues, I think they may have passed them now. I forget, though, but they're right, yeah, right around. Yeah, yeah okay. And uh, I, I think because of that, I think the team's playing a little better. There might be even more opportunities for Shabbat to get points. Uh, so I'm a fan of Shabbat. But it's close. You're splitting hairs with both, admittedly. Um, the next question is from Terry Kane. I've heard this question a lot lately. Uh, and should I drop, and you can almost put insert New Jersey Devils player here. In this case, it's... P.K. Subban, a 10-team head-to-head Roto League, including the PIMS category. What a tough one. You know, the Devils, I've said this before, I didn't expect them to be a good team, but I thought they would at least be a good fantasy team, a fun team, an exciting team, and the offense has not been what we expected even when it comes to guys like Jesper Brad or Nikita Gusev. It's been a big disappointment, and of course, I admit, I thought P.K. Subban was going to have a breakout season. Uh, not breakout, I should say bounce back is a better term for it. I thought he was going to have much more opportunity than he did. He wouldn't be competing with you know Ryan Ellis for minutes on the power play, uh, Roman Yossi, guys like that. I think he was going to be the man, right? Uh, and only like, five points in 20 games, if I remember correctly, for PK. It's been a disaster. But the problem is, I don't think you can really blame PK per se. The entire team has been a disaster. So I kind of wonder if the Devils are approaching a similar juncture to what the Leafs just encountered where they need a coaching change and it's time for John Hines to go. I'm not sure if it could spark them, but I still think it's too early to give up on PK. Sure, can you field offers for him? Absolutely. Um, Dropping him? I don't know. I feel like you drop P.K. Subban, he still has potential to be a top five fantasy defenseman from here on out as soon as things click. And if they have a coaching change, maybe it'll unlock him. I'm still a believer. At the same time, it is a 10-team league, I I see, uh, Harry. Uh, So a league that's shallow, maybe there's a really good guy available on the wire. Maybe there's Oscar Clefbaum on the wire. Then you have to consider that move. See the callback there? I'm just really pointing at Steven today for some reason. Uh, But I also see you... You mentioned it's a keeper league, so I still think long-term, you know, Subban, he's not a spring chicken, but he's not ancient. He still has years left of good fantasy value, so it's not a guy you drop. Maybe it's a guy you trade because he has that huge name brand value. Uh, Next question is from Anthony Louie. Do you think Tyler Johnson will elevate his game if Nikita Kucherov misses any time? I think it's possible. Uh, One thing about Tyler Johnson, you know, he never reached the ceiling that he flirted with when he had that 170-point season and a great playoff run as well. But he has shown the ability to be versatile. You know, he broke into the league as more of a playmaking center. Uh, and then last year, he saw him suddenly becoming a goal scorer. So he's shown the ability to change his game. And we know he has good speed and skill. So I do believe in the short term that Tyler Johnson is a guy who ca- could get a boost if his role increases because the skill is there. He's not an elite player, but he's a talented player. And the thing about anyone in Tampa Bay is you're always going to have talent around you. So I, I agree that Tyler Johnson could uh, see a boost in his value in that in that case taking some more questions and we're still live right now so keep firing them i'm here i will answer them as many as i can the next one is from anthony louis uh and oh sorry no anthony louis asked the last one the next one is, is from paul sulak and paul asks 
does Jonathan Bernier have a chance to be the solidified number one goaltender in Detroit? It's tough. I think with Jonathan Bernier, you know, he's had a, a circuitous career path, and he's someone who we thought he was going to be a pretty elite goaltender when he, he was drafted in the top half of the first round, the LA Kings, and he fly, he had flashes even with the Leafs, and the talent's been there, but he's not one of the bigger goalies in the league. So to me, when you're a guy of Bernier's size, and I think it applies to Jimmy Howard as well, if you're slumping and you're not a big goalie, then there are a lot of holes in the net, and I think that prevented Jonathan Bernier from ever becoming an elite goaltender, goaltender ever reaching the potential he had. And at this stage of his career, it's something I say a lot uh, when we're evaluating guys uh, who are you know, reaching the end of their prime years. I, the expression I always use is, I think we know who he is right now. And I think if Jonathan Bernier was going to become this elite special goaltender, I think it would have happened by now. He can be a stopgap, and we know that the Red Wings are proceeding pretty conservatively. Uh, they're not in a hurry. We've seen the way they keep all the prospects marinating, as I always say, in Grand Rapids. Steve Eisenman is really playing the long con here. So I think that means that Bernier can be a stopgap. But I think long-term, Detroit's a team that needs a, 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 a very special answer. And I think Stephen knows prospects. They do have a really great goalie prospect. I believe it's Philip Larson. Is that the name? Boom. Got it. All right. I'm no Ryan Kennedy, but I, I know some prospects, okay? Uh, so I think he's someone you look at as a long-term answer, and Detroit really does need that. Uh, but Bernier, he can keep the seat warm, and I think Larson, it's, you know, goalies take time. They're kind of like pitchers in baseball. They need, like, like they break in a league, you know, a 23-year-old goalie is almost like a 19-year-old forward, right? So they take their time. Um, so maybe Bernier keeps the seat warm a little longer, but I don't see him being that number one. Uh, the next one is from just Matty C., Matty C. says, is Andre Burakovsky the real deal? It's a great question, and Andre Burakovsky has made me eat a little bit of crow because I was pretty critical. I wasn't critical of Colorado for acquiring him, but I was I was skeptical that he was going to be a great fantasy option because my logic was, well, you know, in his time with Washington, he's a big, strong guy, first-round pedigree, good skill. He had opportunities to play with Evgeny Kuznetsov or Nicholas Backstrom. Eventually, of course, he settled on, on the third line with Lars Eller and Brett Connolly, but we know Burakovsky had his chances, so I thought... I think it would have happened by now. The light bulb would have come on. Uh, so I, I admittedly am a bit surprised that he's been as good as he's been. Uh, but at the same time, now that he's showing it, he's someone that we always knew the potential was there. And he's playing a very important role as Colorado was trying to get through its injuries. He's got great size, and he's always had those hands. So suddenly, if you have a guy transplanted to a new environment who starts to show the skills that he was always supposed to show, and he's still relatively young, maybe it's for real. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Dylan Strom last year, who it seemed like he was doomed to never become a thing in Arizona. He changes environments, and there's a team that just looks at his skill set, deploys him differently, and suddenly the light comes on. So maybe that's what we're seeing with Burakovsky. Admittedly, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm in a very deep league, and I'm kind of thinking, oh, I, I wish I had, I wish I owned some shares of Andre Burakovsky, but I, I missed the boat because I was too skeptical. So it's a lesson for me. Don't be so close-minded, right? Uh, the next question is from Ryan Medaglia. And Ryan asks, Max Domi is becoming an issue for me. Hasn't scored in November yet. Do you think he produces at a better rate with the injuries to Durant and Byron, assuming he steps up to the plate? Domi's tough. I, I, I did not expect, you know, I'm not saying that I expected Domi to perfectly duplicate what he did last year, but I thought his new production level was relatively here to stay because if you looked underneath it, his under-the-hood numbers, as I call them, his just every asset of his game was improved. Just he was generating more shots and more chances. And we've said, you know, on, from, from an intangible standpoint, I think that, you know, 
Domi's a guy who seems to thrive under more pressure. Just growing up as the son of an NHL or on a prominent team and playing in London, Team Canada, and everything like that, he, he just seems to be better fitted to a pressure cooker environment. So ad- adding up all those factors and the fact that I think Domi emotionally was thriving in Montreal, I expected reasonably big things from him. Uh, he, he hasn't quite reached the level we're expecting this year. Uh, I don't know... If, if we're going to see a, a massive change necessarily based on injuries. The thing about Montreal is that they are a very exciting team uh, for the future. And I said that on the podcast, I think, this week. I really like what Montreal's building. They have some guys that are going to be major fantasy value players coming soon, especially Cole Caulfield. And I think the veterans like Domi, they're sort of holding the fort, but their ceilings are going to be lowered until those guys come to town. Next year, if Cole Caulfield turns pro and he's in the Habs lineup, and maybe Domi's going to move to center and play with Caulfield on his wing. You never know. That's the situation that I want a part of from a fantasy standpoint. Right now, you know, whatever the permutations of, of wingers and company are for Domi, whether he's playing center or the wing, it's not elite. So I would keep my expectations fairly tempered for Domi for now. Uh, next question. <laughs> this, is a, this is a good one. Edward Franton says, what's the worst trade you've ever made in a fantasy league? Ooh, that's tough. I... I do have a history of uh, overpaying when I just am convinced that a certain elite player is going to have the most value in a deal and just I have no problem just shelling out for the name of getting that guy. So there was one trade I made. Uh, I believe I it was something like, uh, if, I know if Jenny Kuznetsov was involved, and it was the year that Kuznetsov broke out. And I thought I was being smart. I was selling high on Kuznetsov. It was Kuznetsov, and I believe it was Morgan Riley or Sean Monaghan or something like that for John Tavares. And this trade was made with a celebrity who was in my league. And uh, it's just a funny tidbit. I'm not going to reveal who it is, but but it's funny. It just made me think of it. I asking about this certain person. What? Gonna... That's come through? That's no, funny. I'm not going to put it in there. Okay. But yeah, but this, this there's a, a, a celebrity owner in our league who fleeced me on this trade, and I'll, I'll never forgive myself. I think it cost me my season. Uh, so that's one trade. I also made another trade a couple years ago where I thought, again, I was uh, I, in this case, I was trading one guy for two, and I was selling high on what I thought was a rookie who maybe was going to come back down to earth. And, and it wasn't a rookie. I think it was the second year in the league, but his name was Miko Rantanen, and it was a keeper league. And I think I traded Miko Rantanen for Mark Stone and Sean Monaghan, who were in my league where the contracts were expiring. So I went all in. And I, I must admit, full disclosure, in my current league, I'm dead last because it's a keeper league. And I, I sold my soul. I traded so many picks last year that I my first pick in my draft this year this year was the ninth round. So I tanked. I, I'm, I'm tanking now. And it all I think the Miko Rantanen deal that I made started a chain reaction that led to that. So there you go. You got to be careful with your trades, especially when it comes to your picks in leagues that involve trading draft picks. Uh, the next question is from Dale Kurtz. Ilya Samsonov doesn't get as many starts as I was hoping for at this point. I agree. Anton Kondobin is the best goalie available at this point. Should I consider dropping Samsonov for him? Uh, I would say if you are in a redraft league, then it's a fair decision because we know the Dallas Stars more than almost any team in the league. They love to split the workload with their goalies. Uh, and I always go back to a conversation I had with Jim Neal a few years ago where he explained the reason to me why. Because the Stars, if you look back at Niemi and Lettinen, they've always done this, right, in, in recent times. And Neil explains that when you're in the central time zone like Dallas is, they have the most difficult travel schedule in the NHL because almost every team you play, this is a map, okay, I'm miming a map right now, almost every team you play, you're, switch, you're changing time zones other when you're playing, other, otherwise, or except for when you're playing that small team 
uh, small pool of central teams. Whereas if you're making the West trip, you might, and you're from the East, you're going to stay there for a long time and play a bunch of teams in a row. Same with when the West teams come East. Whereas Central, you don't really get that respect from the league. You're just asked to go back and forth, back and forth all the time. Uh, which means your goalies, it puts a lot of strain on their bodies, which is a big reason why Dallas always has such, uh, not quite even, but close to even split with its goalies. And Ben Bishop is, a, is another unique case because we know he's been a pretty injury-prone goaltender in his career. So that's an, another reason why the backup in Dallas would get a lot of minutes. So I think if you're looking for volume, then yes, Kadobin is the guy to choose over Ilya Samsonov. But if you're in a keeper league, Samsonov, I think, should be a primary target. Very similar to what we're seeing with Thatcher Demko, where in both both cases, I think it's only a matter of time before they're the long-term starter. They both have arguably outplayed the current starter. And Holtby, you know, the Caps are going to be in cap trouble, and they have Nicholas Backstrom to sign, and Braden Holtby probably, I mean, depending on how the season goes, but he's going to be able to ask for a pretty penny, maybe something close to Bobrovsky's contract. So there's a good chance, I believe, that Washington will walk away from Braden Holtby, freeing up Ilya Samsonov to be the starter as he was long projected to be. So in a keeper league, you need to grab Ilya Samsonov immediately. Short term, if you just need that volume, fair enough. You can go for Anton Kadobin. Next question is from Brian Bunch. Good name. Good, good name, Brian Bunch. I like it. Uh, is Jonathan Quick still viable as a goaltending option, or am I better off casting him free in favor of a backup goalie? It's sad, right? Because Jonathan Quick has had a really great career, Conn Smythe winner, uh, one of the most celebrated playoff goaltenders of all time, a real gamer. And he's still a gamer, by the way. I made him very angry a couple weeks ago after a game. Uh, I asked him, if you, if you saw if you saw uh, any footage of Jonathan Quick dropping a bunch of F-bombs, those are it to me. <laughs> because uh, I was asking him, you know, is it hard right now for the Kings, the way they're struggling, for the, the holdovers from those cup years? They remember what winning felt like as opposed to the younger guys on the team. So is it extra hard right now for them? And he didn't like that question, and he got pretty upset. But it's still a relevant thing to bring up because we know the Kings, uh, the roster right now, they're in a state of despair. They're one of the least talented teams in the NHL in terms of what they have on the roster right now. I do think, kind of like Montreal, the Kings are really starting to build an impressive group of prospects, but those those kids aren't here yet. So the Kings are going to keep losing, and I think they have a pretty strong chance to be a lottery team this year. Uh, so you already have a team that's subpar in front of Quick. That hurts his value. And Quick is aging. He's a very athletic goaltender that's always been his, been his calling card. And that's been what's made his career. He's not a very big goaltender by current standards. And he relies on explosiveness. And his body is starting to break down. So he's become very injury prone. And I don't know if he's ever, because of the fact he's a reflex-based goalie, I don't think he's going to get back to what he was. Uh, so... I don't expect his numbers to recover. I think if there's a, a backup available, it depends on your league format. If you're in a league that really rewards volume, so that you get points for wins and shots faced and saves, stuff like that, then fair enough. Maybe quick is worth more than a backup. But if, if there's any weighting assigned to rate stats, you know whether it's save percentage, goals against average, that kind of thing, quick is going to hurt you right now, and you're probably better off with a backup, maybe like Kadova, to go back to that earlier question. Um this one is from Cameron Kirtle. Just wanted to say <laughs> you rock. Thank you, Cameron. Love you, Cameron. Uh, will Truba bounce back offensively this year? That's a tough one. I, I thought a lot. So my prediction, I believe, but someone can tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe what I wrote about Truba uh, going into the season was that I expected him to be about the same as what he was last year because his role was going to increase. He was going to get more minutes. Uh, but he had less uh, a less impressive supporting cast in terms of just the forwards that were up ice. And the Rangers, you know, they've added, certainly, of course, Atremi Panarin and Capocacco, but they're not what the Jets have been in the past few years. Um, 
I also think that there's a chance that Truba was playing a little bit over his head in terms of just the offensive output. He is a talented defenseman. He can move the puck, but it's not that's not the core of his game. He is a two-way defenseman. He's a shutdown guy. And I think on a team like the Rangers, it's still finding its identity. I think he's asked to do more defensively. And the Rangers also have some guys who can move the puck that are sort of growing into those roles, maybe long-term. You know Adam Fox, of course, has a lot of potential as a power play quarterback, and we've seen some nice flashes from Tony D'Angelo as well. And D'Angelo's an interesting guy because he was a very volatile prospect, uh, picked by Tampa, and there was never doubting his offense, right? He had a really tantalizing offense, very similar to what you see with Ryan Merkley as well, uh, who the Sharks picked, right? A volatile player with a lot of talent. And it was a matter of Tony D'Angelo just sort of getting his head on straight because he had some discipline issues, stuff like that, right? But because there was never doubting his actual skill, when we're seeing him put up points, it's like, yeah, that's Tony D'Angelo. That's who he is. That's what he was always supposed to do. And because of that, I I think those guys are more likely to be long-term, you know, contributors on the power play, whereas Truba, he's going to get his points. But it's almost like I could see him being kind of a a right-handed Ryan McDonough in terms of his his long-term legacy as a Ranger, a guy who is going to be asked to do a lot, he's going to play big minutes, and, you know, he's going to get his 35 or 40 points, but because he's doing so many other things, he's not going to be an elite offensive defenseman on the team. And that that might be roughly where, where Truba settles. This one is from Alex Pellick. Any relation to Adam Pellick? I'm curious, Alex. Uh, Elias Lindholm has been brutal recently, one assist in his last six games. He's a UFA in my 12-team league. Should I take a flyer on him and hope he finds his game? I'm going to take a sip of water, Alex, and I, get, I got an answer for you. Uh, it's weird. So it always sounds contradictory, but Lindholm is a great example of, I would say it's like if you're the Lindholm, Lindholm owner, drop him. If you don't have him, pick him up, and that's because if you ha- you know if you've carried him this long in your roster and he's failing you and you're in a sh- relatively shallow league, it's time to move on. At the same time, when you haven't invested, there's no sunk cost. I think when a player that has a pretty reasonable pedigree or, or history of success is available and it's free to pick him up, you're not costing yourself anything. I call it giving a tryout. So let's say you pick him up right now and you say, okay, I'm giving Elias Lindholm uh, a tryout until Monday. So you give him however many games the Flames have for the rest of the week. See what he does. If he doesn't deliver, you drop him. If he shows flashes, then, hey, you just lucked into a guy who has potential to be a pretty useful fantasy player. The problem with the Flames right now is they're a bit lost. Um, And the strangest thing about Calgary, and we talked about this on Monday's podcast, is just unlike a team that just fired its coach, the Leafs, Calgary's problem is more about the Stars struggling. And Lindholm was a guy who was hot last year, but he started slumping last year it's not just this year i think he had something like two goals in his past in his final 24 games so now you're starting to look at big picture it's like lindholm and also johnny gaudreau sean monahan all these major players except for matthew gachuk who seems to be slump proof have been slumping for you know not just a quarter of this season it's all-star break onward so i'm kind of worried about the fantasy value of many of the calgary flames right now and i, I still think lindholm is a talented player uh, and he, he's versatile. He can play wing or center. Uh, he can shoot the puck. But you have to wonder if this is a team that maybe needs a coaching change. And uh, I think Calgary is going to be one of the next teams that's on the clock when it comes to Bill Peters. And when you see star players like Johnny Gaudreau, a 99-point guy who suddenly cannot find his game, you don't want to point a finger at a coach immediately. But I think it's the first thing you do before you, say, put that star player on the trading block. So Long story short, if you're a Lindholm owner, I think what you might be hoping for in terms of his value getting a spike is a coaching change. Uh, this one is from 
Katie, Katie Cat. Someone traded Hughes for Shattenkirk and a second round pick in my keeper league. Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes. Okay, yeah. Obviously, that's one sided. But will Shattenkirk actually come close to fifty points this year? Yeah. So I, I think it's it's one sided whether it's Quinn or Jack because uh, because it's a keeper league. Absolutely. Um, Shattenkirk is a guy that I was actually a, I don't high, high is too strong of a word, but I I believed in the chance for a rebound this year because if you looked at his peripheral numbers, even when he was struggling as a Ranger, I don't think he was playing as badly as the service numbers indicated. And in Tampa, he's just asked to do less. He's given a chance to just tap into his 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 raw skills, which which are puck moving and just offense ability, power play ability, and. There's just less responsibility on his shoulders. So I think he was always set up to succeed in Tampa Bay. I don't know if he's going to finish with 50 points, but I think he's going to be a relevant fantasy defenseman this year. Uh, Not quite his peak value, but someone that, you know, if you're in a a 12-team league and you start three or four defensemen, he's a solid third defenseman, maybe even a decent second defenseman. Uh, The next question is from just Jerry. I like it. I like the confidence. I don't need a last name. It's like Jerry and a bunch of Oh, okay. Oh, so Steven just edited it. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, and Jerry says, We are already at approximately 25% of the season. Any players you see rising or bouncing back for the remainder of the season? Well, one guy, and you know, there's a little bit of a bias, but it, it's because he's on my own team, so I've just been monitoring this player pretty closely, is Claude Giroux. Uh, it's not like Claude Giroux is 35 years old, but he just has not tapped into his true ability this year and I think the Flyers in, in general have, have underachieved but maybe bringing in someone like Morgan Frost who got a chance to play with Giroux that which shifted Giroux to the left uh, maybe that lights a spark because Frost is a guy that has some similar puck skills and can keep up with the likes of Konechny and Giroux I'm not I'm not ready to give up on Claude Giroux yet as a as a star level NHL player he's just two years less than two years removed from being a 100 point guy he was better than 80 points last year he still has excellent hands. He's still excellent face-off man, which means he gets to play in lots of different situations. He's still good on the power play, I think, in the long run. So, to me, Giroux is someone who makes for a, a really nice buy low in fantasy leagues. The other one that's that's really confusing me is Timo Meyer because I'm such a big fan of Timo Meyer. I think he can be he has potential to be a dominant forward. He reached the 30-goal 30, 30 plateau last year, but the underlying numbers suggested he was almost like a dominant 40-goal guy already. I loved his chances to break out this year, and it just he, it's just been a roller coaster with him. And it's one of those situations where you don't want to speculate too much, but you're thinking, is there an injury we don't know about that's being hidden? I'm not sure. But Meyer's still a guy that if he's cheap to acquire, I would want to acquire. He was dropped in my league. He was on waivers. Somebody else beat me to him. I'm still upset about that, but that's a guy that I would go after. Uh, and I've written before about Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, you know, he's shown flashes here and there, but he's just a slow starter. So he's the perfect buy low guy because you, the, the history, like the sample size in terms of his career history is big. So you see his pattern for whatever reason. It takes him a while to get his game shape, his focus, whatever you want to call it. But he's so consistently solid in, in the second half of the season, the later months of the season, that you're going to trade for him now and you're going to get him maybe for 90 cents on the dollar. The buy low window is going to close soon. And then he you might get you might get a, a top two or, or maybe even the number one fantasy goaltender for the rest of the season. So that's an ideal buy low as well. And I think that concludes it for today, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. And I'm still around on Twitter at THM Matt Larkin if you have uh, just general fantasy questions or just hockey questions or questions about movies, which I love. Anything you want to fire my way, we can chat. Okay, thank you. And thank you to our sponsor, Christian Hockey. It was fun.